something is stirring inside of me, friends, and I know that something is stirring inside of you. On our way to Denver, a handful of us went to this conference, and I thought the airplane is oftentimes a, a perfect place to take risks. And I was sitting on this flight to Denver, and this obnoxious guy gets on the plane. He's on his phone. He's sharing a story that is so crude, I can't share the details. He was coming from a Fish concert in Wisconsin. Some of you know who Fish is, kind of in the tradition of Grateful Dead, a jam band, and he still looked really stoned, this young man did. And I began to judge him. He gets on the plane, he sits next to this sweet older lady, and I mean, he is sharing stories that are just unbelievable from the concert. So I'm sitting there going, Lord, would you shut this guy up? I do not want to hear him for two hours, loud on the phone, talking to people, obnoxious. And I just sensed the Lord whisper to me, I don't see him the way you do. And I said, okay, I hear you. And I just sensed him say, can I whisper to you about him? And I said, well, I guess so. I'm corrected. So I began to look at him the whole flight. And he simmered down a little bit. And the Lord began to just show me some things about him. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to share this stuff with him. And so I tested the Lord. I said, if you want me to share with this guy, you've got to bring him to me. How's that for a man of faith? He was with some other people from the Fish concert, and so I didn't want to embarrass him, and I was being chicken, really. I was justifying all that. So I said, you got to bring him to me. So I was watching him out of the corner of my eyes. We got off the plane, and I slipped into the bathroom, really thickening the test here. And Denver's a huge airport, right? So I went in there, went to the bathroom. I didn't see him anywhere around, walked, got on a train, trained across the airport, was on an escalator, and guess who walks up? Like right in my business, like he was breathing on my neck, this dude. So I turned around, I said, okay, Lord, you brought him. So I turned to him and began to share what I sensed about him, and the Holy Spirit came on him. And he goes, dude, I got the chills. I got goosebumps. And it wasn't the weed. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit coming on this guy that had no frame of reference for it and his eyes got really big and I just began to speak destiny into him. I said, God has given you gifts and I see you networked with people all over and I began to just prophesy the Father's heart for him and he was so touched. I couldn't believe it and I tried to chicken out but the Lord sometimes does that, graciously brings people. There are so many people out there that need to hear from God. And I deal with judging them or thinking, ah, he's too far. He's too far gone. He's too embroiled in things. And I think the Lord reminds us, no, we need to go out. How else is he going to hear from God than through the church? People like Kay Davis and others going out into public places and sharing in a very casual way. So it was a lesson for me. Can I share another related to it? So the flight home, I thought, here we go again. I got on the plane, sit next to a guy. I sense he's a marshal, an air marshal. 
He's got a red T-shirt on, ball cap, nothing that indicates it. And I thought, okay, flight to Denver and now flight from Denver. I'm going to take a risk. So I turned to him and I said, are there still marshals on flights regularly? And he goes, yeah. (laughs) And I said, I'm getting a marshal vibe right here. And he kind of looked over at me and said, really? And I said, yes, thank you for your service. (laughs) And so he was, in fact, one of the undercover dudes that rides on planes randomly for security. He had been with the Air Force, and we talked for nearly two hours the whole flight home. It was awesome. So something's stirring. And I think many of you are feeling courage. You're hearing God speak for other people, and I just want to pour gasoline on that. Keep doing it. Right, Wallace? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. The Lord uh, speaks to us and through us in ways that is astonishing. All right, we're in a series on 1 Corinthians. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9. I've been getting some emails from you. Some of you are loving lingering in a book for a while. Some of you might be already bored. Hey, can we move on to something else or can we skip a little bit? I just want to say this, if we believe that this is the word of God, then we walk through it in a very ordinary way. And there's no better word for the church in 2019 than the way Paul laid it out. Now, we may hit pause at different times. You know, I don't want you to look at the entire book of 1 Corinthians and go, oh my gosh, are we going to be here through 2021? No. We're going to skip over some places here, but this is a steady diet. There's value here. There's prophetic insight for us at our Lord's. So I want you to hear the intent behind what we're doing here. We're working through it. It also is a fresh model for our preachers and teachers. I don't have to get up and do you know, anything fancy or come up. We open the scriptures, we walk through it, we look at some of the things, and the word of the Lord comes to us with great force and power, right? So what we're doing here, there is a, a method to this. So with that in mind, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9, and we've been looking at the first few chapters And Paul is talking to these people in ancient Greece, the city of Corinth, and he's trying to remind them of the gospel. And he's doing this through the opening two chapters. He's talking about the message of Christ crucified, how offensive that is, but how how it reveals God's true wisdom and power. And then a second thing along with the gospel is that he is talking about the unity that this message brings. That when we understand the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it brings unity. There's already unity here, and so we unify around the person of Jesus, the crucified, resurrected Jesus. So here we are at chapter 3, and verses 1 to 9, he's going to do two things I want us to look at this morning. One thing is he's going to speak to us about what it means to be people of the Holy Spirit. Are you interested in hearing the Apostle Paul's instruction on being a person of the Holy Spirit? This text 
is rich. The second thing that he's doing in this little section here, he's talking about the church and its leaders. This text has been working on me. And we'll see that leadership for Paul means servant leadership. So this text here speaks to spirituality and leadership in a powerful way. So let's look at it. Put it up on a slide here, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9. It's the word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving according to human inclinations? Then at verse 4, for when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. So this text here is suggesting a couple of things about spiritual people. I've got a slide up here. If we'll put that up, you can see this and take some notes. Again, I've encouraged you to be old school, write some things down, enter it into your phone. I'm encouraging to meditate, read and meditate through this book together as a community. So the first thing that Paul says about spiritual people before he does this, he addresses them how? As brothers and sisters. So Paul is reminding them, we're family. I've got some tough things to say to you, brothers and sisters, but we're family. And Paul's going to go on and actually use some maternal language. He's going to talk in chapter 4 about being their father in the faith, but here he's actually using the language of a mother. He cares for them as an apostle like a mother would care for her children. We'll see more about that in a minute. So he's saying a couple of things here. He's saying that spiritual people, first of all, are nourished by God's revelation. What does he mean by that? If you look at Verses 1 and 2 here, he's talking about them being spiritual. He wants them to be spiritual people nourished with milk and solid food. And what I want us to do, though, is before we look at that nourishment, I want us to look at a couple of words that Paul uses here. It's interesting. I only do this on occasion if it's particularly important, but he uses a couple of terms in Greek that would have ticked them off. He's mentioning that they think that they're spiritual people. They're people of the Holy Spirit, and that word is pneumatikoi. He says, you know what? You're not pneumatikoi. You're actually fleshly people. You're sarkanoi. Sounds like Star Trek talk, doesn't it? You are sarkanoi. You are. 
It's not. It's Greek language here. And it would have been trigger words for them because they prided themselves in having visions, in speaking in tongues, in knowing the deeper mysteries, knowing the true spiritual wisdom. And Paul is basically getting their attention here. He's saying, friends, brothers and sisters, you don't have a correct view of yourselves. Let me explain. You think that you're mature people of the Spirit, but you're acting like people who don't have the Holy Spirit operating in their lives. So what he's doing here is gentle and heavy at the same time. What he's not doing, listen up here, Paul is not saying that there are two classes of Christians. He's not saying that there are two levels of Christianity. That's not what he's saying here. He's basically saying that there are mature Christians and immature Christians. And he's saying you think you're adults in Christ, but you're in preschool. It's a hard word that he's laying out here, and it sets the stage for later when he's going to instruct them again about the use of spiritual gifts. He's going to bring something else to their ears that I think is very pertinent for us. So the problem he's addressing here as he's talking to them about being spiritual people is that they're not thinking and living like it. Paul is going to tell them that the answer, he's going to say, church, if you want to be people of the Holy Spirit, nourish yourselves on the Word of God. Nourish yourselves on the revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus. Look at the language he uses here. He talks about, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for the solid food. What are these word pictures about? I love this quote from one of the leading commentators on Corinthians, Gordon Fee, listen to what he says. Would have surprised them actually as they wanted deep mysteries and messages and prophetic power. Listen to what Gordon Fee says. For Paul, the gospel of the crucified one is both milk and solid food. As milk, it is the good news of salvation, and as solid food, it is the understanding that the entire Christian life is based on the same reality, and those who have the Spirit should understand the true mystery. They must live cruciform or cross-shaped lives as people whose lives and values are shaped by the crucified Jesus. So what Paul is doing here is saying, you think that you're ready for steak and solid food, but the truth is you never move beyond the pure milk of the gospel. The message of Jesus is the milk. The message of Jesus is the solid food. And he's reminding them to come to the table again and learn to feast. He's basically saying you never advance beyond the gospel. You only live deeper into it. They didn't want to hear this. Paul is basically telling him, you don't need a change in your diet. You need a change in your perspective. You need to rediscover the message of the crucified Messiah. I was thinking as I was reading this passage on various airplane flights in between interesting encounters, 
doing some preparation, I couldn't help but think of one of my favorite early Christians who taught me much about being nourished on the Word of God. His name was John Cashin. He lived in the fourth century, and this dude, he was one of the desert fathers, lived in the deserts of Egypt, various places, and he gave his whole life to meditation on the Word of God and teaching other people how to do this. Are you interested in what he said about nourishing yourself on the Word? He has a word picture that he uses, and I'm going to ask you to put that slide up. It's a slide there of the transfiguration. He actually would have used an image like this as he had his scripture there, the Gospel of Matthew 17. And John Cashin has this beautiful way of picturing what it means to nourish yourself on the Word of God. He says, you open the scriptures, you pray the words of scripture, and it is as if you were on the mountain with Christ. And that it is much more than having an interaction with words, but Christ himself, the living word, comes to you through the written words. And John Cashin says, I invite you Christians to participate in this. Open the words of scripture, pray them, and expect to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the glory of God in the face of scripture. The Lord will come to you through the Holy Spirit and renew your mind. And John Cashin goes on to say, this is every time a Christian opens the Bible to read and pray the scriptures, that it can be this way. The glory of God encompasses you, whether you realize it or not. And you get to hear the Father speak through the word. And he says, like it happened at this Mount of Transfiguration, the Father says, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. And John Cashin says, you get caught up in this interaction. And the Father turns to you and says, through the word, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased with you. So John Cashin had an insight into being nourished through the revelation of scripture in a way that I really haven't seen just about anywhere. So I invite us as a church afresh to meet with God through the word and to realize, friends, it's not a relationship with written words on a page. It is Christ himself who wants to meet with you tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Wednesday. We have the opportunity to spend time with him. How much of him do we want? I'm wanting more these days, are you? So Paul, telling them and telling us that spiritual people, people of the Holy Spirit, are nourished by the words of God. A second thing that he's saying here as spiritual people, people of the Holy Spirit, and this is kind of puzzling. We can put the outline back up there. He says people of the Holy Spirit are not merely human. Is that puzzling to you? I feel pretty human today on Sunday. Listen to what he says. He's saying in these verses here, you are still, let's look at verse three, you're still of the flesh. As long as there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh 
and behaving according to human inclinations. So Paul is lifting them up and saying, you're acting like you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You're acting like God is not changing your life and renewing your mind and transforming you. Wake up. Remember that you are pneumatikoi. You are people of the Spirit. That's what Paul is doing here. He is not saying. Some people actually misread these texts and they create kind of a hyper-spiritualism. And they say, well, there are some ordinary Christians who never transcend into the greater realm of mystery. That is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying all Christians receive the Holy Spirit through faith and grace and enter the body of Christ at baptism. So he is definitely not creating this kind of two-tier system, but he is saying every Christian is not merely human. We're still embodied creatures. We're still body, exist bodily, but Paul says the power of the age to come has entered into your body. The kingdom of God has broken through into human history, and that means change for you as an embodied person. And this is what he's reminding the Corinthians of here. The power of the age to come is operating in you. Why are you behaving like this? Spiritual people don't bicker and fight and quarrel and have jealousy with one another. He's going to give some practical instruction later on what to do if there's conflict. But they're not doing it right. So Paul is saying, you're not merely human. Live into who God has called and empowered you to be. What does this mean for us at our Lord's? I'm glad to be a part of a church where we never have quarreling. We never have conflict. We never have disagreements, right? You're going, I don't know what church you go to. Paul's going to tell us how we do actually have conflict and resolve it in the right way. But I want to just sit with this for a moment. What does this mean for us It means being reminded by texts like this that we're kingdom people. You're a kingdom person. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You can live the life of Jesus. You can speak his words and do his works for the glory of God. God wants this more than you do. God wants this more than I do. Aren't you glad? It's good news. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. So the Holy Spirit empowers us from start to finish, being nourished by the word of God and living like not merely human, but like people filled with the power of the kingdom of God, people filled with the Holy Spirit. A second thing here Paul addresses in addition to spiritual people, he talks about servant leaders. Look at verse 5. Just make some observations here at verse 5. Paul says to them, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe. So he's going to talk about servant leadership. He's looking at himself as an apostle commissioned by the resurrected Jesus. And he's saying, you know what? I'm a servant. He's doing some things here. If we take a careful look that would go by us. Thankfully, some commentators help open our eyes to this. But he's saying, first and foremost, that servant leaders help other people grow. 
What's the text say? We're servants through whom you came to believe. So they have this lofty view of him and they have a lofty view of Apollos and Paul is saying, enough. We're put here to help you grow. That's it. So if you're a leader, your goal is to help other people grow. That's it. Not to look good, not to impress other people, not to have people go, ooh, wow, really like the way you use your gifts. You know what? You're a servant. So lingering behind this passage is John 13. If we're servants, we take up the towel and we wash the feet of other people. It's not to look good, not to say, wow, I'm a leader and these other people aren't. It's actually a heavy calling to be a leader. And Paul is actually going to ratchet that up a little bit. You're going to see him use some imagery here in a moment that's pretty startling about servant leaders. As I was reading this passage, I was thinking about Steve Nicholson and the man that you've met. He's come a couple of times over the last year and helped us out immensely. And I remember when I was at seminary in my 20s, Steve would constantly say this publicly. He would say, I want to be a footnote in as many stories as I can be. And I said, Steve, what do you mean? And he goes, I don't care about my own story or being known. I just want to be a footnote. And so the point of that is reinforcing this. Steve knows his reason for being on the planet is to help other people grow, to help other people come to know Jesus, to help other people walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to help other people be transformed and to share the message of the kingdom, to be a footnote. That's what Paul is getting at here. A second thing Paul talks about, look at verses six through eight. This is interwoven here with the previous point. But Paul says that servant leaders work and receive reward together. Pretty cool picture here. It's agricultural. Paul is talking about he plants and Apollos does what? He waters. Paul is using the image of a farm. And he's going to say at the end of the passage at verse 9, you're God's field. So do you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying we're farmhands. The Corinthians liked status. We saw that earlier, didn't we? They liked to interact with people in the upper crust. They liked badges of honor. And Paul says, I and Apollos are farmhands. I'm the plow boy and he's the water boy. That is the essence of true servant leadership. Man, let this just sink into us, church. You're already very servant-hearted. But what if the Lord took us deeper into that and we realized, you know what? You're a water boy. You're a water girl. You're a and again, this is not woe is me. This is just recognizing our place and humility. We're going to see him say some other things, but man, I want to be around leaders like that who recognize all of this is the grace of God. We're just working for the Lord. The Lord has apportioned a role for each of us. And if we get a hold of that and that gets a hold of us, powerful things happen. So Paul is talking about working. He's also mentioning here as they work and receive reward together, he's talking about cooperation. So 
Corinth wanted to line themselves up behind Apollos. And really, Apollos was probably a better teacher, a better orator than Paul. Paul comes in and says, I'm weak. My speech isn't impressive. Why is it that you want to click up around Apollos or Paul? He said, no, 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 we cooperate here. We work together. There's no such thing as clicks in the church. Wow, can you imagine if the church in 2019 got a hold of this? Not that we click up around people. I love this prophetic person. I love this Bible teacher. What if we recognize that we're all cooperating like Paul talks about here? We're all called to cooperate. I was thinking as I was spending time with this passage of the words of John Wimber, and he talked about regularly before he died in the late 90s about being change in the Lord's pocket. He said all Christians are change in the Lord's pocket. We're servants. And guess who gets to spend it as he chooses? The Father. Paul had insight into this. He realized, I'm a servant. I'm a plowman. I work in the fields. I sweat. I work. I'm overlooked. I don't care because I'm change in the Lord's pocket. And he can spend me however he wants. A last thing here that the text talks about. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. Paul says that servant leaders rely on God who brings growth. Sit with this for a moment. We are expected to work hard, right? We're expected to work really hard and work smart. Paul is not giving the church license to slack in any way, but he's saying without God bringing the growth, none of it matters. Wow, you talk about a prophetic word for the church today. Because, man, we sure have our programs, don't we? And we have our personalities. And we have churches across the country that go and sit in audience mode and feed me, entertain me. I want better music. You know what? I'm leaving this church because your music stinks. Paul is saying, what is going on here? That is not the heart of God for the church. He's showing us here that the church is to work hard or to have servant leaders who empower other people, but in the end, if God's not blessing it, if God is not bringing the growth, maybe it's human growth. Maybe it's clever planning. Paul's readjusting their thinking here. I got to interact when I was in Denver this week with a friend who understands this passage big time. His name's Glenn. I hadn't seen him in a few years, but I knew him from many years ago. And Glenn and his family, originally from California, they moved to Tajikistan, and which is a country that borders Afghanistan. About eight and a half million people live there. And my family knows Glenn, Amanda knows Glenn. And he decided to move his family to Tajikistan. And there were about two dozen Christians in Tajikistan when he moved there. And after laboring there, planting, watering, winning people to Jesus, 
he actually had a ministry where, catch this, people were, the local mafia in Tajikistan would get a hold of tanks and drive into neighborhoods and blow up homes. And so Glenn and his wife Terry said, why don't we start rebuilding homes? And so in a very practical way, along with the gospel, they worked with people, rebuilt homes, and then brought the gospel. By the time they left, guess how many believers there there were and that there are now? Well over a thousand. So they went there with a couple of dozen believers. Glenn knew the truth of passages like this. We can plant, we can water, but God alone brings the growth. God alone brings the growth. And he's watching that in an unreached people group. He's watching God bring the growth. And now they've got church planters there. They've got church plants springing up all over the country. And the kingdom of God is expanding because God alone brings the growth. We are discovering some fresh mission and vision here at Our Lord's. And I want to remind us that even with new groups and new programs and fresh vision, we rely on God. We should be on our faces, on our knees, saying, would you bring growth? We don't want to just read good books, do good research, have some new groups, do some things. We want you sovereignly to move among us. You want that, don't you? We want that. We want the Father to bring growth. And you know what happens? Paul knew this. A healthy indifference settles into your heart. Usually the word indifferent isn't positive, is it? It means I'm indifferent to it. Paul had a wholly healthy indifference. He worked. He prayed. He did all he could. And God brought the growth. And I'm telling you, The Lord is going to bring some growth here, friends. We're in a time of transition. Things are shifting. Some people are deciding to leave because they don't align with where we're going. We send them with great blessing and love. The Lord's going to bring others. We're going to see people come to the faith. God is the one who brings the growth. You hear me on that? Lord, bring growth. So this week, I want to invite you to continue to work in 1 Corinthians 3. Next week, Mike is actually going to give a message about being a church like Antioch. And he's going to talk from his heart about being a missional training center, an ascending center. So he's going to talk about that next week. And then the following few weeks, we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 3. So I encourage you to continue to linger, to pray, to meditate on 1 Corinthians 3. 10 through 23 is what we'll look at next. Next.